0: Good morning. morning. How are we doing, Park Ford Church? We doing good? This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, Just wanted to share a few things before we jump into um, Acts uh, this morning. First, um, I want to say thanks for having me today. Um, It's good to be with you, Um, and also wanted to thank you just for your um, support of me and my ministry at Drexel Church. Um, Just uh, your love for me and my family um, is just so appreciated. So thank you for that. Um, This morning, DJ tasked me with jumping into um, Acts uh, chapter 2. And before we uh, jump uh, quite into the text, um, I came across a really interesting um, article yesterday. Oh, the picture's already up. Good. Uh, The article was about... Um, how a zoo in Egypt is accused, has been accused of painting a donkey to look like a zebra. Um, And so I don't know if you can tell the difference between a a donkey and a a zebra, um, but uh, they were accused, this particular zoo, of painting a donkey like a zebra. And I thought it was really interesting for where we're headed and where you are headed as a church Um, looking through the book of Acts, and particularly looking at uh, Acts as a way of understanding how we do spiritual discernment as the church. And what discernment is all about, uh, church family, it's all about distinguishing between truth and lie. It's about distinguishing between um, what God is saying versus what the rest of the world is saying. It's, if you will, discernment is distinguishing between that donkey that is painted like a zebra They may look like a zebra to some degree, but upon closer inspection is not actually a zebra at all. It's a donkey. And so with that, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for today because you're a God who is good and you are a God who is faithful. We thank you, God, that we are here today um, because you have so touched and transformed our lives. The Lord, we're not here today coming with our own righteousness. so We're not coming today, God, saying that we have it all together. God, we're coming together today to say that you, Lord, alone have it all together, that you, Lord, are the God that knits together in a mother's womb, that you alone, God, are the God that is uh, faithful to the very end, that no matter how faithless we are, God, you remain faithful. So God, as we open up your word today, as we look through the pages of your story, of how you've worked, God, speak to our hearts. Help us understand what you're saying to your church. God, give us ears to hear. Lord, we so need you, and we need you to move and work in our hearts. We need you to move and work in our church. God, we need you more than anything. God, lead us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump into Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Everybody with me say amen. amen? All right. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... At my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's a mouthful, isn't it? It's interesting in the American church, we we oftentimes view and go through a few passages of Scripture. But it's important for us to see whole segments of Scripture as it all ties in together. So Acts. Acts. What we're hoping to do and what um, Pastor uh, DJ had shared with me, what you are hoping to do is walk through Acts as a way of understanding spiritual discernment. Um, and thinking through the ways in which God has worked and has, is continuing to work in his church. And so Acts is one of those books, as you all know, that is a history of the early church. Um, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but from my standpoint, it's rightfully called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the, God, uh, it's the God who is at work in and through his church. If we were going to do a basic summary of Acts chapter 2, this is what happened. Everybody's gathered for Pentecost, which is one of three festivals in which everybody descended, all the men descended um, into Jerusalem. And there are people from all over the place coming together. Not only that, you have the early disciples or earlier followers of Jesus. They're all together in one place, and they're there, and they're waiting. And while they're there, they hear this rushing wind come into the room and fills the place. And the Holy Spirit comes, he comes and he fills them He comes and causes them to speak in tongues of known languages. And so as they're being moved by the power of God to speak in these known languages, all these other men who are gathered, who are hearing these other languages, which are their native tongues, are blown away. Because what they're hearing is they're hearing about the works of God in their native language. Incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. And at the same time you have going on, you have people that are mocking, saying they're, they're drunk. They're filled with wine. <laughs> and so Peter then takes this occasion then to stand up, and he begins to tell a prophetic history, looking through the Old Testament prophecies about this day when the Spirit of God would come and take up residence in people. And he tells that story, and he connects that to the prophetic history concerning Jesus, whom the men at that time, through the the hands of lawless men, the Romans, crucified upon a cross. He was crucified, but then God raised him up from the dead, which again is confirmation of what was prophetically said concerning this Jesus. And Peter says succinctly that God has made him, that being Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This one in whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And so upon hearing this, upon hearing this message, they're cut to the heart. The people there are convicted. They realize what is going on. And they said, brothers, what should we do? this is what Peter says. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the writer of Acts concludes, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Incredible work of God. What's interesting about this entire narrative, this entire story, is that it all starts in verse 1. And so we're going to camp out this morning in verse 1. This whole story in Acts 2 starts because of verse 1. Verse 1 says, They were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. Who were all together? If you look back to verse 14, you have the disciples. It says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they're all together in one place. But why are they all together in one place? Why? Why? Why are they all there? They're there because of this. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Or if you were to turn to the end of Luke, It records it this way, And behold, Jesus is speaking, talking to his disciples, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what are they doing? They're waiting. They're just sitting in a room waiting. They're praying. They're devoting themselves to prayer. They're just sitting in this room waiting. Everything that God does from this point forward is because the early church listened and they waited. They waited. It's important that we see that in this passage, that they waited. I've wondered if they were also thinking about what Jesus said earlier in John 15 I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit for part from me, you can do nothing. Disciples had just witnessed an incredible several weeks, right? The one in whom they've been following was just crucified and killed. He just rose from the dead triumphantly and now the Spirit of God is descending on them and filling them. Talk about A full couple weeks, right, Church? That's that's a full couple weeks. Um, But it's important for us to understand, Church, that Jesus did exactly what He said He would do; that He would actually come through on His promise. But in order for that promise to take effect, the disciples had to wait. They had to listen to His voice. It reminds me this story of another, uh, maybe familiar uh, story. I don't know if this. Uh, struck any chords with you about people coming together. Remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? In Genesis 11, after the flood, God told them to go out and to fill the earth. Multiply, fill the earth. That was the command from the Lord, right? But then a group of people said, we're not doing that. (laughs) We're not going to do that. In Genesis 11, it says that they begin to, to... Make bricks for their building. What they said is this. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we are dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Right? So they come together, the these early people come together post-flood, and they say, We're going to build this incredible tower to the heavens. We're not going to do what God said. We're going to build this tower and we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to settle here. This is where we're going to be. As a result of that, God comes down, and he actually confuses their language. So at this time, the whole earth had one language and used the same words. So God comes down, and he confuses their languages, so they have to disperse, right? This is the inverse of what happens in Acts. In Acts you have the church listening to the voice of the Lord, waiting. And then in the midst of having so much diversity, diversity of language, God shows up and brings everybody together, even though there's a ton of different languages being spoken. A ton of different languages being spoken. That is incredible. The Tower of Babel is a mirror of the other side of what the church is supposed to be. One of the things we must be careful about, and we talk about spiritual discernment sitting with the story of Acts, is that we can have our tower if we want it. We can have that tower. (laughs) Or we can have Jesus' church. We can have the tower, or we can have the church. And these are the differences between the two. The difference between the tower and the church is this. The tower we were to go the way of the Tower of Babel bears our name. It's about our glory. It's about what we're doing. If we're about Jesus' church, it's about Jesus. It's about his fame. It's about his glory. It's about what he wants. With our tower, the thing that we're most concerned about church is sameness. We want everybody to be just like us. In Jesus' church, he's really good at bringing people together that normally wouldn't spend any time together, Right? Uh, Can you get amen? When you look around this room, church, there are people here that you might never, ever spend time with except for because Jesus has called you to walk together in this local church, Parker Ford Church, right? So that's what happens in Jesus' church. He brings oneness in the midst of diversity. In the tower, if we were to build a tower that is self-propelled— that's about how hard you and I can work. It's about our strength. It's about what we can do. It's about our knowledge. If we're about building Jesus' church and being a part of that work, it is spirit-powered. It is God-directed, God-led. His Spirit's indwelling us, and we're paying attention to what the Holy Spirit's saying. And fundamentally, the difference between these two things, the tower and the church, is this. The tower is independent from God. The tower was built independent from God's instruction. It's what they wanted. Versus the church of Jesus, Jesus' church, it's completely dependent on him. Completely dependent on him. That's why in verse chapter 1 of Acts 2, these words are so important. They were all together in one not building a tower, not trying to figure out how they're going to make this thing work. They were waiting, waiting for God to fulfill his promise, waiting. Now about you, I've, I've thought about this a bit. What would have happened if the disciples would have just done their own thing, right? What if they would have said, you know what, Jesus, we got this we're good. I know you said you promised to build your church, but we've been with you for like three plus years. We have studied real hard. We've watched you do all kinds of ministering things, and we're good. Like, we're, we're just going to run with this thing, Jesus. You can catch up with us later, right? We're going to do this. Or maybe their thought was, you know what? Um, people need to know that Jesus really is alive. that he really rose from the dead. We can't wait on the spirit that Jesus promised. Let's just go ahead and start preaching and see what happens, what if the disciples would have moved forward? What if they didn't wait? They would not have been filled with the Spirit of God and the work they were doing. They would not have had the power of God resting on them, working through them. And they would not have experienced transformation the way that only God does transformation. They could have had an amazing tower, don't get me wrong. They could have built an incredible tower up to the heavens. But instead, they said, No, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. The key question related to discernment, and this is what I want to put before you this morning, is this. And as you walk through Acts chapter 2, this is the question that I think we have to ask Do we desire to know what God wants? Do we actually want to know what God wants? Is that a desire of our hearts? May I say a different way. Do we really want to know what God desires? The things that God is passionate about, the things that God is about. Are we really interested in that? Are we, as a church, as the people of God, interested in moving beyond just praying, let your will be done, and going to the place of knowing what his will is, and actually Doing it Now, most of you would say, of course we want that, right? Well, we're here. We're here to learn. We, we want to be obedient to Christ. We want to follow him, right? This is exactly what we want to do. What's interesting to me is that, I don't know if you remember that story back in John chapter 5, where there's a man who's not well, and Jesus asked him this question. He says, do you want to be made well? The obvious answer is, well, of course he does. Why wouldn't he? Or Or wasn't he really sure that he wanted to be well? You see, for that man, if he was going to be made well, he couldn't live the life that he used to live anymore. His whole world was about to be turned upside down if Jesus were to make him well. There's all kinds of fear and questions and anxiety related to that. So I think when Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He's asking him to bring out faith to say, if you want this, you can have this. For us, when we think about discernment and what Jesus really wants, I think... If we're all honest here, that can be a scary thing. What if what we've been doing isn't what Jesus wants? (laughs) Well, make it more personally. What if what I was actually doing, the way I've lived my life, the decisions I've made, isn't what Jesus is actually asking me to do? What if? Or what if God wants me to take a complete change of direction? What if the ways in which I'm most comfortable, God says, nope, And when you multiply this corporately as a church, these are the real things we feel like. We feel fear, we feel anxiety, we feel those things because while we want what he wants, we're concerned about what the answer is going to be. And what we've known, what we've felt most comfortable with, the reality is we might have built a tower of Babel and God might be deconstructing that thing to look very different. And that is the hard part of discernment. Do we really want that? Here's a good news, church. If you were to look through Acts chapter 2, there's two messages that are given in Acts 2. We are to repent and we are to listen. We are to repent and we are to listen. The, The people that responded to Peter, that were cut to the heart, they were convicted, they turned to Christ. They turned to the Lord, and they listened to what Peter said. He was a mouthpiece for God. They turned, and they listened. They heard. This is the story of the Christian life, by the way. Uh, The Christian life is not, I turn from my sins, and then I trust Jesus this one day, and I punch my ticket into heaven, and now I don't have to repent or listen anymore. The Christian life is me actively turning away from my sin, from my ways of thinking, for all the ways that don't align with God, and me saying, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to what you're saying. That sounds really, 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 really spiritual right now, but that is hard work, church. That is hard work. It is super hard work. It is such hard work that we see in the scriptures multiple times uh, this call to repentance. If you were Going to turn to Isaiah 55. Listen to these words. Listen to what the prophet says. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So it's not just what we're doing, it's also how we're thinking. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly. Pardon. This is the good news about our God. It doesn't matter how many times we get a wrong church, we can always come back. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We can always come back. And then verse 8 says this, this by familiar. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This is the posture for us in prayer and when we're listening to what God wants to do. We have to confess the way you and I think is not the way the Lord thinks by nature. The, way, the ways in which you and I work and the way we think about things should work is not necessarily the way that God works. Um, he is on a whole nother level in the way that he thinks and works and his ways are always right. Can I get an amen? So when we talk about discernment, we have to sit in that place and that confession that, God, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your thoughts are much higher than mine. But not only the prophet Isaiah says that, if you're familiar with uh, Psalm 46 It uses picture of the world being chaotic. And there's wars and there's desolations. And then in verse 10 of Psalm 46, it says this, be still and know that I am God. Church, that is a call to repent and to listen to God. Be still. Stop your striving. Stop all your doings and just know that I am God. Know me. Listen to my voice. Or from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And this is the hard one for me. And do not lean to your own understanding. (laughs) In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. What the wisdom from the Proverbs says, that if we're going to trust God with the deepest part of who we are, you and I cannot lean on what we've previously thought about God and how he works. Again, sounds really good here, but when we talk about what that looks like, not just for our, you all as a church, part of the larger church of Jesus Christ, or us personally, that can be a scary thing. But here's the promise in the proverb. When you and I acknowledge him or know him in all of our ways, the promise is that he'll direct us. We don't have to know how this is going to look as long as we're listening to his voice. That's the good news for us. Or as Jesus says in John 10, my sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Discernment. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Discernment is both listening to what God has already said. What he's already said. One of the reasons why we sit under the counsel of God's word is because we want to listen to what he's already said. We want to listen to what God's like, how he works. We want to have the thoughts that God has about his church and how he works. We want to think these ways. We want our own life to be guided by what God has already said. And the second part of that, it's not just listening to what God has already said. It's also listening to what he is saying today. In moments, in decisions, as we walk with him and as we talk with him is listening to his voice. The way it's said in Revelation through the Lord Jesus, he says, he who has ear, let him, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Ongoing listening. Active listening. And the reason why we can listen to what the Lord's already said is because of this statement from Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hasn't changed. That's why Peter, when he stood up to give his message, he didn't bring a new revelation. He brought what the prophets have already said. (laughs) But the application for how that looked today, they needed to hear that. They needed to know that. Discernment is both listening to what has already been said as well as listening to what God is saying today. But that begins, church, with us turning from our understanding, from our ways of thinking, our own pride, our own glory, our own desires to have a tower. Because if we're going to be honest, we all want a tower. In the deepest recesses of our heart, we want a tower. Because we're in control. We're comfortable. We're safe. But what Jesus is after is building his church. And it doesn't have to always make sense. And sometimes it's crazy. When I think about my own journey, it doesn't even make sense. The whole thing is just unbelievable how God works. Uh, in the moments, I thank God for the faith that he gave me and gave my wife, because she's even crazier for trusting my leading from the Lord. Um, but when I think about that, like it doesn't make any sense. And yet, the joy, the favor of just being right with God, Far exceeds any of those comforts, any of those things that I loved about the tower. (laughs) It far exceeds it. And even beyond that church, the best thing about it is that all of Jesus' promises are made to his church. And when he says, I will build my church, we can take that to the bank. When we wait, like the disciples did, and they listen to his voice, We don't have to worry about building it because that's his job. You and I aren't building the church. Jesus is. And he knows what he's doing. He's been building it for hundreds of years. And he's done a really great job across continents, across seas, across language barriers, across cultures. He's done an incredible job. But that trust of the Lord to say, I recognize, I don't know, what this should look like or how it should work or even what I understand about what you do and how you work, God, it's so limited. But I'm listening to your voice now. Show me the way. Direct my steps. I trust fully in you. That is the hard work of the church. Because in every season, and Parker Ford, you're no different than Drexel Church. You're no different than the church down the street. At every season there's the temptation of the tower. For glory for a name for ourselves, versus the church of Jesus Christ, to be the church? That is the question for us today. And as you walk through Acts, I want to leave you with that. Do you really want to know what God wants? Do you, you and I can know that. We can know that. And he's faithful to lead us. Let me pray. Please join with me. God, more than anything, we just need to know your voice. And so, God, when we open your scriptures, we begin to hear your voice and to understand your voice. We begin to recognize your voice. But, God, in this moment today, not just as individuals, God, but also as a church, as Parker Ford Church, as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to hear your voice today. We need to know how you're leading us and where we should go, where we should invest our time, where we should invest our resources. If we should go this way or that way, God, we need you to lead us in that. We confess, Lord, our faith is weak at times. We confess that we want to share uh, your glory. We confess, God, that our thoughts are different than yours. The ways in which we want to see things work aren't always the ways, God, that you work. But we just confess that at the end of the day, what we need is you. We need your leadership. We need your guidance. And God, we are waiting for you. We're waiting for you to stir in our hearts. We're waiting for you to direct us. We're waiting for you to fill us again with your spirit. We're waiting for you to infuse us with faith for what you've asked us to do. But God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. And then give us the faith to walk it out. Lord, I thank you so much for Parker Ford Church. Lord, I pray that this body would continue to have discernment, the utmost discernment into all that you have for them. That God, in this body, there be nothing but oneness across this body even though there's different generations and different races, even though, God, there's different walks of life in this room, even though, God, there are different places of service and different years of walking with you, God, that in this place that there would continue to be for Parker, for church, oneness together, and that together that they would hear your voice, that in every season, rather than looking to what has been or what feels safe, God, that they would continue to hear your voice, and that, God, that you would grant them the faith to totally step out there and go with whatever you're doing, Lord. It may not look any different than what is presently here right now, but, God, it might look totally different. And, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them in that, that, God, that they would see your faithfulness, they would see your hand, that in the same way, God, that you filled the believers with your spirit, God, that you would fill again this body with your spirit, with your presence. Fill them up again. God, whether it's in tongues or in other languages, God, or whether it's in other spiritual gifts or whether it's just being full of faith, God, that you would fill this body with your spirit. And God, I thank you that this church knows you and loves you. What a gift that is. What a gift that is that all the generations represented here are people that have faithfully followed you. God, let Parker Ford Church continue to be a people who follow you, Jesus. God, as they go with you, let them find your mind-surpassing peace. Let them find your unshakable joy. Because God, when we walk with you and when we talk with you, that's, that's the sweetest thing we can experience in this life. It's the sweetest thing to know you and to walk with you and to know we are where we should be. So bless this body and strengthen them. And God, help us all continue to have ears to hear what you're saying to your church.